2: So hello and welcome listeners, I'm Mari Cleveland, I'm here with my co-hosts Craig and John, hey guys Hello,
1: happy new year
2: Happy new year, happy epiphany, we're so glad to be back And we are also extremely glad because today we are going to be talking about making the most of your marriage I think that's a great new year's resolution, what do you guys think? That's excellent I know I need it (laughs) I always need it too And we have got a wonderful couple with us today um who's going to be talking about that um, but as you guys know here in the family room, that is one of our goals our goals is to our goals are to make sure that you guys have got as many resources as possible, real relevant resources for making the most of your family, your marriages. Um, For us, the three of us, we learn along with you. So we choose guests that we want to learn from and find great things that we can learn to help our marriages and our families really thrive because we do believe here that the domestic church is under attack and we want everything we can, all the resources we possibly can to make sure that we are standing firm for marriage and that our domestic church, our families are really um, having the kingdom of God begin in the home, and then bring that love of Christ out to others. And so we're excited today to be able to share some wisdom from a couple who's been working on a ma- their marriage for th- over 30 years now, and who's done great things in our community to help others with their marriages as well. So um, Craig, would you share with our listeners who our guests are today?
3: Yeah, now everybody, have been listening to incredible guests on the show, and um, we're going to have two incredible guests again today. Uh, Lori and Mike Carlton are locals here, so they're in the uh, Diocese of Atlanta. They're also parishioners at St. Peter's Chanel, and they created several marriage ministries. And I know there are people that may be listening that have been helped by their ministry. Uh, they're also married for 30 years, and they are parents of six children. I think the ages of 14 to 24. So incredible testimony to um, marriage and family. So welcome to the show, guys.
0: Thank you. Thank you.
3: As always, we're going to start with an opening prayer. So, John, if you don't mind, sir. I would be
1: honored to do that. Let's begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, as we begin this endeavor, we just first and foremost reach out to you with prayers of thanksgiving and praise for so many things, for this beginning of a new year. But today, with Mike and with Lori, uh, you give us a reflection and an example of what in your generosity and your kindness you establish as the nearest reflection of the love of the Trinity, and that's the love and creative abilities in a marriage. And so we ask you to bless this time together, not just for the time that we spend together, but for the words that come out of it, the thoughts that come out of it, the emotions and, and the things that are generated so that they might touch the hearts and the minds and the souls of everyone that you would have listened and hear what we have to say today. We ask you to bless these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. St. John Amen. Paul
2: II. Pray, Pray for us. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. Pray, Pray for, for us. In the name of the Father, the Father the Son, and Holy Spirit. The Spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you. That was beautiful. I just feel much holier after that. Thank you, John.
3: Our <laughs> resident opening prayer.
2: Yes, that was, that was great. So um, Laurie and Mike, we, as we said earlier, you guys have over 30 years experience of being married. You've got six kids, which is wonderful. And obviously you've got a great heart for marriages and for families. And God's called you to serve in a myriad of ways as our listeners and all of us are going to find out in the ways that he called you to do that. But of course, all that starts with how God called each of you to Himself, because I think we only start out in ministry to others once God's filled us and giving us given us that encouragement that we have something that um, He wants us to share with other people. And sometimes it's through um, great experiences. Sometimes it might be through challenges that we've been um, through ourselves. But we'd love for you to start our time together just by sharing your own personal faith journeys. A lot of our listeners love to hear our guests and how God touch their lives, even, um, in their own for personal faith journeys. So would you guys be willing to share your individual faith journeys with sure, us? Sure. Absolutely.
4: Uh, thanks for having us, by the way. Um, I am a cradle Catholic, um, but I was raised Maronite. My dad is, was Lebanese mm-hmm. and, um, I knew nothing but the Maronite church, uh, in Youngstown, Ohio, small town. And, um, Until I was 11 years old, I thought the only church was the Maronite Church. So we were surrounded by family. It was very small. Half of the Mass is in Arabic. Uh, We took Lebanese dancing lessons. We ate Lebanese food. We hung out with each other. And I always said to my mom, oh, I'm going to marry a Lebanese man. I just thought it was the most wonderful experience. (laughs) It truly was. I remember actually kneeling uh, during Mass one day, we were singing the Hail Mary um, at some point, I can't remember, I might have been eight years old. And I looked to my right and there's my dad and he was smiling singing mm. the Hail Mary. I'll never forget that look on his face. He glowed in mass, oh, wow. especially the Maronite mass. And so it stuck with me. But when I was 11, my dad was transferred away from Youngstown to Cincinnati, same state, but it might've been uh, Timbuktu uh, it was very <laughs> far for us because very few people had left. And the Maronite Church was too far from our house. It was in the city of Cincinnati. We were in the suburbs, so we joined the Roman Catholic Church, and I stayed Roman Catholic for the rest of my life. Still am. We've raised our children, Uh, but I always longed for the closeness that I had as a little girl in the Maronite Church. We had joined a big church like we are now, Uh, but I did always long for it. Uh, We never missed Mass growing up, no matter what. And when I went to college, I decided I wanted to expand my horizons and. Uh, I joined Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh I don't think my parents were too happy about that. But um, it was one year, and it was a one-year wonderful experience. I learned a lot about God and about personal prayer and um, a lot of things that I felt that I missed out on in in the Catholic Church, Um, not to fault them. It was probably me and the time we grew up. But um, I always took that with me. And I I remember one day when I was in college, someone said to me, "Uh, what religion are you? And I said, I'm Catholic. And at that time, I had been not practicing Catholicism for one year, uh, but faithfully going to the uh, non-denominational church and realizing at that point that I am Catholic, I'm always Catholic, and I will always continue to be Catholic. Mm-hmm. So from that point on, we, um, I was Roman Catholic and we went to the church. Um, and Mike and I got married. And you want to take it from there?
0: Uh, sure. Uh, we were married in 91. Um, I grew up non-catholic so I'm a convert and uh, growing up in a presbyterian church everybody's scottish presbyterian uh, but I grew up in buffalo new york which is a big catholic town the mm. irish section polish italian and I had all my friends were catholic so I always sort of uh, kind of had an eye on it but um never felt called uh first time I set foot in a catholic church was in college because we were dating at the time and and uh you want to go to saint mary's so of course i wanted to date you and that's <laughs> not so i'm going to saint mary's and <clears throat> and it was a really interesting experience i remember sitting there seeing the icons and some of the you know incense and the stained glass windows and all the history and it, it sort of planted a seed in me but it took me six years to convert six years after our our marriage after the wedding uh, for me to really swim the tiber so uh, and thinking about your dad i heard you comment about your dad and the lebanese and the maronite tradition um, loved your dad, and uh, it reminds me of what he said. Yeah, you can't convert to be Lebanese, but you can convert to be Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> so the rest is history. Once I uh, converted in 2002, uh, that's when our marriage uh, took a turn. Ah,
2: oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm.
3: When you look at the two backgrounds, it's interesting, too, because you know, oftentimes we talk about um, two people very different coming together, whether it's different personalities And I've gotten to know you two a little bit, and you guys have different personalities, but it meshes well together. When you look at your backgrounds, though, if you look at your backgrounds individually, then collectively, how have your individual backgrounds played in your marriage journey together, if that makes any sense?
4: Yeah, that's a great question. And Mike and I were talking about that today because we are in the uh, marriage prep program uh, through the archdiocese. And we have five meetings with uh, each couple we help to prepare for marriage. And the first meeting is always about your family of origin. Mm. And we really hone in on everything we can in two hours about the um, the upcoming bride and groom, how their family of origin was. What was their favorite room in their house? What kind of games did they play? Were their parents still married? How many siblings do they have? Where do they eat dinner, et cetera, et cetera. And we really focus on the positive aspects of all that because we realized through our journey, through our up and down journey, that we are very different. We come from very different backgrounds, but we made it work. And you can always make it work. We think through meeting all these people and going through our own experience, it can be done no matter what. Now, I have to say, we both come from families who stayed together. My fa- parents were married 52 years. We were at the Maronite Mass celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. Mike's parents have been married 63, 62. 62. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were at their 50th and 60th. So the longevity of marriage for us, um, no matter what are the details of our family of origin, was very, very important.
0: Mm. Yeah, and when we met, uh, faith was important to us. Uh, we first uh, started dating, we got married. Uh, we church shopped for six years between 91 and I longer than that um, church shop for ten years, mm-hmm. but um we always kept faith in front front and center, even though we came from different faith backgrounds um, of course, me, I kind of drove her crazy asking a lot of questions about Catholicism, you know why do you do this, <laughs> why do you that? why do, you do this? Um, Unfortunately, I was so, I, I
4: had no answers because uh, <laughs> yeah. I' have a cradle Catholic eventually I learned yeah
0: yeah my my path was uh, sort of a wandering, long and winding road, and then became anti Catholic and then had a conversion moment and then became a super proponent of the Catholic church, um, largely based in the history and some of the traditions and it's a long story there, but, uh, as it pertains to our marriage, even though we were different faith backgrounds, we always went to church. We went to different churches. You always stayed Catholic. I admired that. And I always admired uh, some of the Catholic traditions. And there was one moment where, and, and you mentioned our, our parents were a good marriage model, stability in the families. Um, Faith was important to both families, so a lot, a lot in common there. But there was one moment where, over the kitchen table, as it would be, uh, you, after our second child was born, you said, I, "I really want them to have the sacraments. I really want them to be to be raised in the Catholic Church." And so it put, in a very polite way, some um, the onus on on me, on me to. To step cooperate up. and step, step up. up. And, and so we, at that moment, we agreed, okay, we will raise them Catholic. Of course, for me, it took me a few more years. I'm a little bit stubborn, but we decided at that moment, we're going to raise the kids Catholic. That was a big moment for us in our marriage.
2: That's neat. I love your stories because so many people think, oh, we've got to be just alike. We've got to just be exactly alike for this to work. But God is working in each one of you and worked in each one of you. And Mike, to your point, he knew you were stubborn. He knew it was going to take some time. And he knew that Laurie's temperament and Laurie's beautiful father's witness was going to touch you in different ways. So I think sometimes we forget that the Holy Spirit's working on this too. This is a sacrament and the Holy Spirit is working through this. And it's not up to us to force somebody else to convert or or make somebody else believe what we believe, but but that we each need to be very true and faithful to what God's calling us to do. That's very true. In fact, I was
4: listening to your previous interview. Uh, where the wife, Stephanie, was saying that it's really important to, if you can, pick a husband who puts God first. And that's mm-hmm. what she does. I thought that was so beautiful. Well, I was 22 when we were married. Uh, <laughs> so I was awfully young to to think that. But I will tell you that Mike was a holy man, and Christianity was very important to him. Although I put and-
0: beer first, back then.
4: <laughs> <laughs> the faith was important to him. So I knew I was marrying a good man. Uh, and eventually, you're right, we did grow into it, and God worked on us.
2: That's great. So,
1: folks, if you're if you're listening uh, with us, you're on AM 1160, The Quest, your Atlantic Catholic Radio, and you're in the family room. And we're talking to Mike and Laurie Carlton. Mike and Lori, uh, and just by the way, uh, Mike, the monks began the beer tradition, so you are in very, very good hands. You may not have known it, but but he was with you the whole time. St.
0: Patrick's Day was big for yes, a Presbyterian.
1: Yes, yes. So, <laughs> um, I would bet that having the diverse backgrounds that you have, um, that there were lots of things in that marriage, good, bad, and different. And then, and so your you're marriage, you're cranking along 17 years of marriage, and then you really kind of roll up your sleeves and say, we're going to get into marriage ministry. That's a big step into a very difficult arena. What went on in your lives? Maybe give us, and and if I could Oh, just a little bit. I'm. I'd be willing to bet. Probably this is just projection on my part that not everything in your marriage was flawless, and maybe even some of the things that were a challenge prompted you to do this ministry. Maybe you could kind of walk walk that path. Mike
3: shaking his head. No, he said it was perfect <laughs> it was from the beginning. Like, it was
0: flawless. <laughs> Exactly. I mean, they. You know, you. What do they say? Uh, adversity reveals character. Um, you don't grow and learn without challenge. That we f- experienced that firsthand. Um, I would say in sort of buckets, we've had uh, marriage talks at our marriage ministry where there's four stages of marriage, honeymoon stage, and then sort of disillusionment, like, whoa, this is not a perpetual honeymoon. And then working stage, raising the kids, and then maturity when you you got things handled. And kind of like what our, our parents, 50 and 60 years, um, we blew through the first six years and like a perpetual honeymoon, just having fun. And we traveled, we did a lot, we were, you know, as they call dinks dual income no kids having just a lot of fun once we started having kids in 97 99 2001 2003 um then we had one oh five oh seven it almost sounds like we're planners right we're <laughs> really not um but it, it became challenging and i took a travel job i was working in in san francisco each week i was out of town she had all mm-hmm. the little guys and it we hit a wall because I think in the, in the stage of disillusionment, like, whoa, this isn't a perpetual honeymoon, combined with working stage at the same time, and I'm not home. Mm-hmm. And we hit a wall and uh, it, the word divorce came up and it was really difficult. And because of that experience though, we, were, we felt a couple of years later, after we renewed our vows and wiped the slate clean and kind of started over, and there's a whole long story with this, um we thought we got to give back. we've been given a gift I, I God gave me a gift with laurie we've been given gifts with the kids, and we need to now sort of help others provide hope where there's hopelessness, you know for us to even think back that it was that bad for us, and it was um to get past that and then just be on to celebrate thirty years, and when I watched her parents at the altar at fifty years. My parents at 50 and then 60 years, and I see how happy they are together. I think I, I want that, and I thank God for the the overcoming, the, the crisis we were in. But to just sit on that wouldn't be right, so we decided we want to help others, and it's amazing what it's done, not just for us, but for many People have huge challenges in their marriage, alcoholism, infidelity, finances, whatever it might be, and they don't know how to get out of it. So that's what we're just trying to do is help others because of what we went through.
3: Mm-hmm. But no, as I was say, I think what's interesting too is though you've recognized it. And as the guy, John and I came to this because we keep talking to guys about it, you know, instead of sitting in the my job is to go make money, my job is to, you know, provide a nice home. It sounds like you also stepped up with Lori though and said, you know what? I'm not doing the job God intended me to do. I need to do a better job because of your faith together, but you were like, okay, God's given me a call here. I need to step up and do better at that.
0: Well, it, it was more than that. I got hit in the head with a brick. Mm-hmm. I'm going to lose her. you know, And I took her for granted, took the marriage for granted, took the family for granted. And uh, oh, we dear. read Love Languages. Uh, the the uh, book really helped, uh, yeah. it became a tool for us. But in Love Languages, I blew through that book. It just spoke to me. And quality time is her love language. I gave her no quality time. Mm. It was stunning to me what I needed to do to fix things.
4: Yes. Mike's was <laughs> affirmation. And I didn't she give any of that. with part. Honestly, to, to your point, Craig, um, he was providing for the family and I was taking care of the family, but we were not taking care of each other. Mm-hmm. We were not speaking each other's love language. Mm-hmm. And so he would come on from work and say, I got a promotion or I got um, more money or I got a bonus. So in my mind, he was getting affirmation from work. I don't need to give it to him. And it's really not a good way to be a wife. And so when I realized his love language was affirmation, I knew I had to change some things. And it was actually for me at adoration, uh, I was sitting in the back of adoration, knowing that our marriage was falling apart. And my baby was only five months old, I had a five month old baby. Uh, and everybody else's, I think the oldest was five or six years. They were t- they're really tight. Um, I was crying in the back of adoration. I I really don't remember this point, but I remember I was crying all the time at at that time. And a friend of mine came up and said, what's wrong? And I said, my marriage is falling apart. And without telling her any details, she said, I want you to read a book. It's called Fascinating Womanhood. Hmm. And uh, she told me the details. So I went home and I I love this woman. She's so wonderful. So I bought the book. I devoured it. But I decided that that book is not for me. It was written in 1962. It was old fashioned. It had everything in it from have a nice dress on when he comes home to make sure the table's set. Uh, So silly.
3: Mike, that's not a bad thing, is it? Not a bad thing.
4: But it was full of all modern day things too. So I read it. A week later, I ran into my friend at church and I said, thank you for the book. It's just not for me. And she said, really? She was surprised. And at that moment, I thought, maybe I should look at it in a different light. So the only time in my life I reread a book was wow. Fascinating Womanhood by Helen Andelin. I went home and read it, and it was a different book. Huh. And I realized at that time, I was being a bad wife. I was, I was not giving it my all. And everything I did in life, I gave my all. And I was not giving it to the most precious thing in my life. And that's my husband. Mm-hmm. So at that moment, I changed. And lucky, fortunate, holy for me, my husband decided to change too because it takes two.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting, you know, and listeners, we're going to make sure we put links to all the resources that the Carlton share. So you'll have a link to the different books. The five love languages was a huge one for my husband and me as well. We have yeah. different love languages. Laurie, I would guess that affirmation is probably like your fourth and fi- or fifth, right? It's not your topic. It it's, it's at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So there are five love languages and it's Laurie's sixth. Okay, great. Right. Yeah. So when it's your last one, you don't think about it at all, but it's his first one. That's right. Yeah. And you're so, exactly right. Yeah. So whatever mm-hmm. you don't experience, then you don't know to love somebody else that way. And the same, mm-hmm. well, my husband and I had the same thing. We have opposite love languages. And I've talked about this on the show before because his is acts of service. Mm -hmm. And so he shows me beautiful acts of service. He makes sure the the house, you know, he helps with anything and everything around the house. He makes sure the yard is perfectly done. He'll help do anything with the kids. And so when he's out mowing the lawn, I have to I have to say to myself, oh, my gosh, look how much he loves me. (laughs) (laughs) Because it doesn't feel it. I don't feel it that way. I don't experience it that way. But I have similar. Yeah, I have to see that. Um, that that's how what it is for him mm-hmm. and so it is mm-hmm. fascinating but you talk about kind of you both recognize the need um, whether it was the two by four or the brick hitting you Mike whatever quality you quality both-
0: time is by far her top love line the other one I mean, everyone has all five but right that's disproportionate and I realized that now we'll go for a walk we'll just sit and talk mm-hmm. I don't have to do the lawn run the dishes and run kids around and help with errands which we do anyway we work as a team yeah but it, that it it it's amazing when you shift your focus to your spouse's love language, and then the focus is away from the kids, because it's easy to fall in the trap of mom and dad and forget about being husband and wife. Right. We'll talk about that later. That's a huge one. But um, it's just a matter of focus and then working at it.
4: Yeah. One thing I realized was I could not try to change Mike. I know it sounds cliche. I couldn't pray to change Mike. I could only change... <laughs> me, yeah. myself. Yeah. And if I could change myself, according to this book, Fascinating Womanhood, eventually the marriage would change. And she's right. Mm-hmm. In fact, she had a 30-day program. Try this. She would give you examples for 30 days. Another friend of mine gave me some great advice. She said, every time I hug my husband, I say to God, thank you for this wonderful husband over mm-hmm. his shoulder. She said, maybe you should try that with Mike just a simple little thing. And so I tried these things for 30 days little tiny things and I saw a change.
0: Yeah. You can't give what you don't have. Yep. And so it's a, it's a it's a different focus, but it changes everything.
2: Yeah, definitely. So one of the things that you guys said, I know we've only got about three, three minutes or so before we go on break, that you really wanted to remind people that there's, there's great hope even in the midst of marital crisis. Are there other things that people need to understand that will help them if they're dealing with marital crisis?
0: Yeah, big, the biggest one that we were told and experienced is keep Christ in the marriage. Mm. People get married in a church and then sometimes set Christ aside, do more planning for the honeymoon than they do the marriage itself. And we were going to church and I've converted to the Catholic faith a couple of years before we had the crisis, which is a whole nother story. But so we had church in our lives, but we didn't pray together. Mm. We we're kind of going as sort of independence and making sure the kids were getting their sacraments, but we didn't have a faith life with us. We didn't pray together. We didn't share together. And I think that Keep bringing Christ back into the marriage, renewing the vows. We, we renewed the vows. I heard them for the first time,
2: mm.
0: although it was the second time. <laughs> I heard the words.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: I would highly suggest to renew your vows at Valentine's Day.
2: That's neat. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I would recommend surrounding yourself with holy, like-minded people. Mm. When we went through our marriage crisis, much like a lot of people, I just cut off the people that I decided weren't going to help us in our marriage. End of story. There was no doubt in my mind that's
2: what I was going to do. And that's what I did. And um, it was amazing.
0: Seeking good counsel. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. See, yeah, I found that if you find people who speak well of their husbands, that's a huge one. I remember thinking, like, I don't want to be around the women who are always cutting their husbands down. Because I want to respect and admire and appreciate my husband. And, yeah. And that's the
3: thing. It's a mindset difference, quite honestly. You know, uh, Mike and I, you and I talked about it not long ago. You know we go into these things very unprepared as you said you know you're talking to couples going let's talk about your families talk about the backgrounds talk about all these things and then all of a sudden nobody says by the way there's a battle i mm-hmm. mean we've talked about mm-hmm. on this show it's always funny ephesians 5 talks about here's how marriage should function honor your husband you know husbands honor your wives like christ on it or whatever but the next one that was ephesians 6 which talks about the battle mm-hmm. the spiritual battle you're under we don't ever tie those two together and say <coughs> guys what you're doing, Satan does not want to see happen. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be easy. And I don't care how much you love each other. Like you said, the, the it, it ebbs and flows a little bit with the honeymoon stage to the other. And both couples have to be in this to fight. They got to be in there to battle. And I don't mean that in an ugly and a bad way, but this needs to be like the most important thing we're fighting for.
0: When you talk about Ephesians, you know, love your spouse like Christ loves the church. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, what, and how do we define that love? Sacrificial. Yep. So this isn't a love that we had pre-crisis where it's kind of, what's in it for me? Am I having fun? Do I like this? I was listening to the wrong voices. People that were in divorce, people that punted, you have a right to be happy. Um, you start listening to the voice of the church. It's sacrificial love. Mm-hmm. It's a love of commitment and sacrifice. It changes everything.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah. Because no. it is a sacrament and God's the one who created it. There is yeah. grace in
1: the sacrament. Yeah. To put Christ in the center is that much easier when you, when you have the sacrament of matrimony. And you receive the grace of the sacrament.
4: And that's what we tell our couples that we're preparing for marriage. Yeah. It's powerful.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: We are going to take a little break here. Uh, You're listening to AM 1160, the Quest Atlanta, your Atlanta Catholic radio. And we'll be back right after a little break. We'll be right back inside the family room in moments on the Quest.
0: Welcome back to the family room on the Quest,
3: folks. Welcome back. You're listening to Mari, John, and Craig in the family room on AM 1160, The Quest, and we're having a dynamic interview with the Carltons who are talking about marriage and uh, giving everybody hope that it's never too late, no matter what you've gone through. Um, with God, your marriage can be saved, and that's the key, folks. In all of that, guys, you know, you talk. You've got your ministry. And there are components in your ministry that you've used. And Laura, you've already mentioned some of them that kind of broke things open for you in understanding better. How do I relate better to this person that right now looks like an alien to me? (laughs) And if Kelly's listening, she's like, yep, I know how that feels. You've talked about a couple of things. So you've got the five love languages. Run through those one more time again. There's the temperaments, which I think is really interesting because we all have different temperaments. Can you just talk more about those and maybe how you insert those a little bit into the ministry
4: yes the temperaments is a book that was introduced to us by a friend and they are um, innate personality traits Um, so this is the way god made you uh, when you came out of the womb or maybe when you were still being formed in the womb there are four they've been around for thousands of years which uh, I thought was quite interesting. And so we read this book called The Temperament God Gave You. There are many books written about the temperaments, but we like this one in particular because it's written by a Catholic couple. Uh, Their names are Art and Lorraine Bennett. So it has a Catholic twist, which we liked. And I found out that I am the two opposite temperaments of Mike. (laughs) Absolute (laughs) opposite. Um, And when I first read it, I thought, I am not those temperaments. And so I decided to do a uh, temperament personality test if any of you have done it um it's really a great test it's actually um by a uh, non-religious woman or at least non-religious book called personality plus by Florence Littauer and you can find her test online so I took this test after reading the book and realized it was correct so I am a phlegmatic melancholic which essentially is a laid-back glasses half empty kind of person where Mike you can say what you are
0: sanguine 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 (laughs) and that is opposite of her temperament but we we found out along the way not realizing kind of what this all means um we had a priest speak on the temperaments at at a marriage program and he said that's actually a really good thing to offset each other Mm -hmm. in a marriage Mm -hmm. not to have the same temperaments
4: we Mm -hmm. fit each other perfectly together and so mike jokes that I bring him down to reality, but you, what is it that you say?
0: You keep me into the, in the check with check. Yeah, it's reality check.
4: Yeah. He always sees the bright side. Everything's very positive. So we come together, which right can the be middle.
0: delusional at times. <laughs> yeah. Each temperament has two different sides of the coin of, of the four major temperaments. And there's a whole class on this, but it doesn't mean that it, the marriage won't work if you have the same temperaments, but having opposite temperaments means you offset in a way that wouldn't be otherwise. It works for the marriage a little bit like the love languages, ways to express your love, not having the identical love languages where you're kind of fighting for attention. Ours are different. Ours are opposite. Mine's not quality time. It doesn't show up on my radar at all, but that's big for her. So when I give that to her, then you can meet my needs as well. So we go back and forth.
4: The focus of our ministry is twofold. I would say keep Christ in your marriage is number one and know yourself, the importance Mm -hmm. of what Socrates said thousands of years ago, know thyself, a simple two word sentence. Mm -hmm. So we really focus on understanding yourself and in turn, you will understand your spouse as part of the process and you learn to accept and love that Mm -hmm. about your spouse. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we lean in a lot of our programs. It really
0: helps when you hear, you know, growing up, put the shoe on the other foot, you know, think about how this is received, not perceived. And the way you communicate gets adjusted when you think of the other person. Yeah. And when we had the marriage crisis, we were told by a priest, wake up every day. Some call it the three Fs, faith, family, friends, in that order. Um, But he got more specific. If you and your wife both put God first every day, that's the number one priority. Number two priority for you would be your wife. And her number two is you.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So you're meeting each other's needs, not your own, and the number three priority, the kids, what God gave you and in, and in, in the, the offspring, your your kids, your children. But notice that's not competing with your needs. Would you know? And then we fell in the trap of being parents and not being husband and wife. No date nights, nothing. We're just parents. So the kids would be number three for each of us,
2: mm-hmm. which
0: is the same. And then number four, the last priority, would be your work. Hobbies, gardening, do whatever you want, whatever you fill in the blank. So that shocked me that every day if we're both putting God first and then each putting ourselves second, Mm -hmm. she's meeting my needs, I'm meeting her needs. And we both put the kids third, which is now similar parenting, working as a team, coordinating. And then our own stuff last, life became prioritized in the right order and our whole marriage just blossomed because we weren't doing that.
4: It really did. It really did blossom. That's great. So when,
1: when you were talking, Lori, you, you said our uh, the whole point of our ministry and Mike, how you articulated that. And by the way, if, folks, if you're listening, if you've listened to more than one podcast uh, in the family room or more than one show in the family room, the Carltons just gave us, I think, for the fourth time mm-hmm. the priority that should be in your marriage this yep. is not the first time we've heard this from people who know what's going on right so thank <laughs> you for that for reinforcing including
2: that. a priest who's in a charge priest, of the tribunal. And, and, yeah and a
1: doctor <laughs> or two doctors i think right yeah so so you guys are in good company is that
3: getting hit in the head with a
1: brick um almost better <laughs> <laughs> Less a, whole, a holy brick yeah. a holy <laughs> brick there we go but let's probe a little bit more into the ministry. Like you, you said God led you to want to, to know you had to give back, but but go a little deeper. Tell us what did you see? Are there things that you can relate from the ministry that our listeners will will kind of be able to identify with?
0: Yeah, we talked a couple of years in um, renewing our vows. Our marriage was now you know rolling. We're, we had another child. We had you know number five and number six. <laughs> they were all kind of piled in there, but. Along the way, I think when number six was born, we really said, we got to give back. And we didn't know really what that meant. We consulted with a couple of priest friends, and they said, what do you have in mind? And we just sort of came up with this idea just to have a priest give a talk, have a dinner program at the church, invite a bunch of couples, and then maybe have small faith groups tied to that, or maybe just have a little fellowship at the tables, whatever, just kind of like a date night at the church, Mm -hmm. good food, good fellowship, and a talk that simple and we called it mac marriages are covenants not contracts covenants (laughs) not to be broken so we just made that up and what's the difference between contract and covenant correct you cannot break a covenant
3: and what about a contract
0: you can breach the contract as we know in business but (laughs) we decided to start this on a shoestring no budget and this is what our encouragement to other people to think You know we don't have resources at the church the church doesn't offer anything between you know marriage prep and then if you get in trouble there's nothing uh, along the way Mm. start this it doesn't take any any effort we invited a priest we had 60 people show up competing with saturday night football in the south it was shocking how many came the second one we did 100 people we've had up to 250 come as couples to the church it told me there really isn't much at the parish level this is a local parish program it's not national it's local, but the need is there. Yeah, people the are hungry. The need is there. Totally
4: they are hungry, and not yeah. everybody can take a weekend to do a marriage a retreat, which I th- we think is lovely. We've done two in our li- two marriage retreats in our lives, but um, we couldn't get away. We mm-hmm. felt that we couldn't because Mike was traveling, and we had so many kids. kids. Mm-hmm. So we decided this is the best bet, and we packed the house. We couldn't believe. We said, "Oh, if we just get four couples, <laughs> if we had eight people, and we had fifty. Wow, and it it." it What else is amazing is when you simply ask a priest, can you speak about marriages? The answer is almost always yes. Mm -hmm. What do you want me to talk about? Mm -hmm. It's amazing Mm -hmm. the number of people we had come speak at our church and the number of people who came who want to be fed. So it's the average couple we want to reach to just get away. We considered offering babysitting, but we decided that that might conflict a little too much if they can hear the children crying in the cry room we decided get your own babysitter and just come without them yeah Uh, but of course infants are always welcome so it's been very successful (laughs) yeah and
0: at the priest level every priest we talk to you highlighted this earlier mari uh, marriage is under attack Mm -hmm. the domestic church is really critical for vocations Mm -hmm. for healthy marriages Future families, they know this, Mm -hmm. and having a parishioner couple that wants to step up and invite all their friends, the need is there. Also, it's not for broken marriages; it's for all marriages. Mm -hmm. It's just a simple way to enhance and strengthen your marriage, a little bit of a different type of a date night. Yeah, and now it's turned into the Promise Ministry, which is a little bit different. Now it's more small faith group uh, oriented. Yeah, so, so I was going yeah, to
2: ask about that. So, you did Mac for about 10 years, mm-hmm. and it sounds like you had like 40 or 50 different speakers during that period of time, which mm-hmm. is amazing. And then it did morph into Promise. So, tell us a little bit about Promise and why you changed and shifted and how people can get involved with that.
0: Yeah, Promise, the acronym Program to Renew and Optimize Marriage in sacramental enrichment a little bit mike came up with
2: that so
4: impressive (laughs) very rare
0: moment sort of an epiphany (laughs) but um it's really it's just a little bit of a shift of focus where you still have a dinner night date night big talk but then you break up into small faith groups Mm. go into homes and when you're sitting three four couples at a home and you get host couples that are willing to uh, host Mm -hmm. and we had some of the materials are amazing. The Augustine Institute uh, has great marriage materials. You put a video on, it gives you a little workbook, some discussion questions. It's good fellowship, first of all. Mm-hmm. It's another version of a date night. And second of all, it's less intimidating than 150 people in a room. You're just at a small group of friends, mm-hmm. four or five couples. And over six different sessions, walls come down, barriers come down. You're willing to now share and this goes back to what we said earlier. I think Laurie said it. Watch out for the counsel that you seek if you're in trouble. Mm. Because the voices of our culture are not healthy. Yeah. Find good people that can mirror the right path for you. And that can happen in a small faith group.
3: That's great. Well, when I like, too, how uh, you guys talked about, you know, Laurie, you got a problem. Where were you when you had the problem? Adoration. You know, you're going to the sacraments or the, the um, supports that the church has given and you know again for all of us here it's not about well my marriage had this really bad part and i need to go fix it i'm sure there's plenty of people that hear this and say well my marriage is great well can it be better can it really be a lot stronger and the answer is yes and what i like about what you've been talking about here too is these small groups um accompaniment is a key word in Mm -hmm. regnum christi and what we do in our men's groups and everything and accompaniment is walking together in the faith so when you're starting these small groups, I mean how do people get involved in this? How do people either get involved in a promise group? How do people start them? What would be your recommendation? We have
0: to start with beer. <laughs> Or, the men, yeah, are, or, the, or the men are not going to come. All right, I'm fine with that. What's step two?
4: <laughs> well, when they come to our meeting with the priest, we get their email addresses, their contacts, and we get a hold of them and we give them materials. And mm. our first year of having promise officially, we use Beloved, which is simply found on Formed. And we're all mm-hmm. we have all have access to Formed. There's so much on Formed.org. Uh it's amazing but Beloved is a 6 week program so uh and there are two sessions. So uh we had couples meet for 6 weeks in the fall and then we kicked off January with another meeting, a big meeting at church and then we did the final 6 weeks. And as Mike said, it was a 30 minute video incredibly done by the Augustine Institute uh followed by question and answer which is all provided for uh by um the Augustine Institute for free. Yeah. So and that's just one. There's so many other programs. Uh we have found marriage unique for a reason. There's another called parenting. Um, Ascension press does a bunch. We have a lot of resources um, to meet the needs of people just getting together
2: and having something to talk about. So in our show notes on our website, we try to put links and resources. So can we give people your contact information? If they want to start this in their parish, you can kind of give them some advice and ideas. And that's what we like
4: hope that people will do is start something like this. It's actually much easier than we ever anticipated that's great
2: and now
0: other parishes want to um step into this Uh, saint michael the archangel in woodstock they're running a promise ministry over there Mm -hmm. same material same format so we'd encourage anybody listening that maybe they think their parish doesn't have anything to really offer other than marriage prep you get married then what Mm -hmm. um the diocese offers retrovite. there's uh, if you're in significant trouble as uh, laurie said there's marriage encounter for some weekend away But is there a date night kind of opportunity? Is there anything that a parish offers? This is very, very simple Mm -hmm. and doesn't require resources and funding. And it seems to
2: work. That's Mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm.
1: Folks, you're listening to AM 1160, The Quest, your Atlanta Catholic Radio. And you are in the family room. And you're in the family room with the Carltons. And one of the things that is, I don't say our favorite, but pretty close to our favorite thing to do, is to ask our guests a favorite family room memory. So something about your family room, maybe the family rooms that you have now as the Carlton family or from your family rooms growing up. You have that rich uh, Maronite tradition or maybe something from that. But I want to put words in your mouth and be quiet and let you tell us what is your favorite family room memory?
4: I would say my favorite is my house, uh, our kitchen, because being a quality time person, that's where everything happens. That's where I can sit my teenagers down at 11 o'clock at night and everything comes out (laughs) because
2: they won't talk until then when you're really
4: tired. Uh, Or Mike will walk by and bring up something. Next thing I know, two hours later, we're still chatting about the topic. Um, But we have very comfortable bar stools. They're leather and they're big and you can lean back on them. So we spend a lot of time sitting in those bar stools talking. Uh, From the time, fortunately, we've been in our house for so long, we have memories of when there were babies on the bouncy seat on the counter and they ride their their bikes around when they were little around the counter and they play bikes games. Bikes in the house. <laughs> yeah, it was romper room when they were little. But we have so many good memories of just being in our kitchen. So, and I'm sometimes, we still have a- so
0: sometimes the family room can become the kitchen. Yeah. yeah. The family you know, and, to be, yeah. and there's beer I in the them. fridge. So, you know. <laughs> our guy really doesn't drink beer. You mentioned it a lot, by the way. <laughs> So we, we have, uh, that, that is a recent memory. Another one is, um, during COVID shutdown a year and a half ago, spring of 20, when we couldn't go to mass, this is sort of a recent memory, um, we had family Bible study, which we never did before. Mm. Um, and we had all the kids on Sunday morning, maybe throw in a video, of Father Michael Schmidt, something to, you know, get things moving. And then we'd read the scriptures for mass, all three, and we'd talk about them and, I thought we're going to be dragging the kids into the You know, let me go to Dunkin' Donuts and bring in some donuts, try to get their attention. 45 minutes later, we're not even close to being done. Wow. Like they have something to say. They love and that. I was shocked by how important this was for the kids. They, Our youngest daughter, Mary, said, Dad, I kind of like COVID because, you know, we're all home and we sit around. I'm like, well, let's not go that far. But um, that is something that was a great recent memory of us all sitting around talking about the gospel.
4: We found out too how much they know and we're grateful for Catholic schools. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were actually surprised that they knew what they knew.
2: Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's neat. That's that's some of our memories as well. As we watched Father Mike Schmidt during yeah. COVID and had those conversations with our teenagers and it was yeah. fascinating. Yeah. So do you have any advice for families who are trying to create some memories? You know, you've given us some examples of things that you guys did to create some family traditions or family memories. You know, that's some some of the ways that you build that emotional bond, that emotion that opportunity to grow together to learn together to share your faith together do you guys have any advice for families
0: yeah take the 10 year old to the liquor store buy beer and then <laughs> come home. just kidding um one thing we do at um...
1: everybody knows it's not the 10 year old that's what you're <laughs> kidding about
0: right <laughs> right exactly um I, I think that this sort of became an interesting model that we could do now in the past on the way to mass You have a captive audience. All the kids are in the car. Mm -hmm. Now you can actually speak to them. And so my wife would always have them read the gospel on the way to mass. So they were kind of used to that because you're stuck in this. You're trapped in a seatbelt. Put your iPhones down. We're going to mass. Let's prepare for mass. And they'd read. One of them would read the gospel. We'd talk a little bit about it. That was being done in our family for a while. That's a tradition that we sort of baked into on the way to mass. Uh Uh-huh. And then what I mentioned is during COVID, we sat around the family room, literally sat around the family room and talked about the gospel, which was great. But I would suggest if you're looking to do something new and you think, gosh, my kids aren't gonna sit around and talk about the, you know, it's that's too much. And now that mass is back up, try having one of your kids read the gospel on the way to mass. Mm-hmm. You'll be surprised how easy it is, because you're on the way. Put the phones down. You're in the car anyway. And what happens at Mass when they hear the gospel read? Literature of the word, they've heard it now for the second time. Mm-hmm. They'll be paying much more attention when they hear it when they're experience uh, in, enhance the experience of mass because you've already prepped them. That's something you can do pretty easy to do. That's what I would suggest.
4: Yeah, I think the car uh, taking advantage of being in the car is huge mm-hmm. uh, because it's hard to get them even when you're all home. Mm-hmm. Uh, we when they were little, I started saying the rosary in the car with them when we on the way to school. That's mm-hmm. what we always did from the time they were itty bitty. Um, I was lucky. That's something I started. I wish I would have started other traditions, too. But So now uh, they're in high school, although they're driving themselves. uh, If we are in the car together, I might say to one of them, do you mind saying a Decade of the Rosary with me? And our tradition is uh, to alternate Hail Marys or say it around the circle. And, um, say one, uh, prayer request before you say the Hail Mary. So, mm-hmm. and they're used to it. So they don't, they don't complain because we've always done that. That's one great.
0: other family tradition I think is very doable for people. And we did this, especially when the kids are really young is, you know, prayers at nighttime before bed. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone kind of pokes at that to different degrees and we would all sit around the beds and, you know, talk about, you know, what's, what happened that was good today what can I work on? What can I hope for? Um, Pray for each other. It's kind of interesting when you start asking the kids at bedtime when they're reflecting on the day, the next day, um, we all pray together. And this was varied greatly because we had little kids that were wrestling and fighting and it wasn't like we all sat around with pious kids praying the rosary. (laughs) But you're together as a family, you're putting them to bed, you're going to do it anyway. And this might be something to ask them, their opinion about how things went today. So they think spiritually, not just, you know, playing with their friends. Mm
4: -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think another bit of advice is to do something for your marriage. Find out what works for you and read books to help, whether it's the temperaments or the love languages. Uh, But we take walks and we decided that Legatus was a really good, holy thing for our marriage because we have a planned date night every month with all kinds of wonderful opportunities. Uh, but find what works for you. And if you don't know how to pray together, just step outside the box and ask your spouse as you're going to bed, can we say an our father, Mm -hmm. if you don't know what to say uh, or hail Mary, just something, you
2: know, amen. That's it. Just start with that. Yeah. And I love the fact that you guys mentioned also just reading the word because we forget sometimes that the word is living. The word is living. And so God's going to honor that and use that in in beautiful ways. Yeah, definitely.
3: But it's definitely um, a conscious effort, you know, versus this flying. I fly with the seat of my pants and now I sit back and I regret not being more intentional. I think it's that intentionality that makes it work. Plus, you know, when you guys keep talking about surrounds yourself it's not the holy huddle meaning you're not just only with certain people but at the same time if you want to flourish you need to be around like-minded people that are raising their kids in a very similar way and you're all committed to the same thing i mean i think that's that's key And, and i think god's forming these communities within our churches because he knows our marriages are getting battered in a lot of ways and we need to be able to support each other and i think you guys have done a great job explaining how to do that
0: yeah. Fi- final thought is before meals, praying before meals, asking for their intentions of who they want to pray for. Mm-hmm. That's another opportunity where they're all sitting there, hopefully eat together. But you have to have meals together. So That's another key exactly, factor, right? Key factor.
1: <laughs> I think I know we got like two minutes left, so I'll say this really quick and, and comment. But it's but what I love about what you guys are talking about is there has been no discussion of the need to study Plato and Aristotle <laughs> and the impl- implications of the Church Fathers on raising. There's none of that. Those are all great things, but you're talking about praying a rosary, reading the gospel. This is not religious rocket science. That's true. This is just good stuff that we all know how to do. Lori, it took Barb and I a long time to pray together at night, and how we did it was just like, all right, we're doing it our Father oh that's mm. super that's it and then, and then it grows right so yeah just really good stuff that you guys are sharing
2: you know and the fact that you guys ask your kids what do you want me to pray for what are prayer intentions and it's so cool because now my kids are away at college and i'll get a text hey mom would you please pray for me i've got this exam and so they're that's used beautiful. to knowing that we'll pray for each other's prayer intentions yeah did yeah. yeah. you Brilliant. say
0: pray for an a or pray for a b <laughs> <laughs> just pass just pray survive just stay there Pass.
2: right and speaking of prayer would you guys um just honor us and honor our listeners by uh, closing us out with a prayer for all the marriages and the families out there
0: sure in the name of the father son holy spirit amen Amen. lord jesus we acknowledge you here amongst us you promise we're two or three gathered together you'll be with us we confess that sometimes in our marriages and families we don't always stay in line with your teaching but we thank you for the opportunity to always renew our marriages every day that there is hope in sometimes a hopeless situation. We thank you for that. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.
1: Amen. In the Father, Father and Son and the of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
2: Amen. Mike and Laurie, thank you so much. We really appreciate you breaking up in your marriages and giving all of us and our listeners hope for the future. And listeners, if you are tuning in, you be with us here on the, in the family room, where we offer hope, encouragement, truth, and wisdom for families. We'll see you next week.
0: Thanks for hanging out with us in the family room. For more info, go to thequestatlanta.com.